what is punishment actually doing? Like, are they learning anything from, if the goal is that they don't do this thing again, then now what you're teaching them is that you get this, this bad thing happens when you've done a bad thing, but you're not teaching them how to be better. You're not helping them realize for themselves mm -hmm. why they could do something differently the next time. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed hundred million dollars in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. And why do you want to focus on building this business so much? When is enough enough or is it just always about the growth? It's yeah, it's not about accumulation of anything. It's not about money, it's not about power or status, like none of that. It's what else am I going to do with my time? Like I think that, and I really get it now with acquisition.com, which is you have to build a vision compelling enough that others can fit their vision inside of it and that you can fit your next vision inside of it. I only see, you know, Layla as she currently stands able to get this business to, you know, a hundred something million. I have to become a different person in order to hit a billion or to hit 10 billion or mm. 30 or 50 billion. And that is super compelling to me because I'm like, that's a challenge that I would like to figure out. That's something I would like to, and I would like to meet that person. I would like to meet Layla when she has a $10 billion company and be like, how did you do it? What did you have to go through? Like, what kind of person do you have to become? And what beliefs did you have to break in order to get there? And so for me, it's about setting a goal so big that I am forced to change and evolve in a positive way as a human in order to get there. And that other people within it also have to do the same because that's what keeps people excited. But that's just because you find personal enjoyment in that. Yeah, I like, I like proving to myself that I'm tough. What if you picked up some random hobby, let's say golfing, and you enjoyed golfing way more? Let's just say in this, <laughs> like, this is a theory, right? Let you, spike ball. Spike ball, sure, any any sort of random thing. You loved it so much for the sake of the argument, golfing. Um, but- um, <laughs> Or ping pong, in ping your case. Pong. You loved ping pong way more than running your business, everything. Uh, obviously you loved Alex, right? Um, would you stop doing your business in order to, to do ping pong if you loved it more than your business? Because love is fleeting, it's a feeling. But like logically what makes sense in order to, for me to evolve as a person is to have challenge. And that is within the business. Ping pong would not have that. But then wouldn't that mean you love the challenge more than you love ping pong? Maybe. Yeah. There's always someone know. that's better in ping pong. What? There's always someone that's better in someone ping pong. Because then I think it, for you it's a challenge. But if you were challenged and loved ping pong, assuming all else, then I think it would make sense you would follow ping pong. If I was challenged by ping pong? Yes. Yeah. And you lo you were loved and it challenged by ping pong. You as an but, but you made no money. This, yeah. Yeah. So because if if you're saying it's not about the money, there's got to be a component about it that is, that guess, is somewhat okay, money what, related. Here's what I, yeah. what I, where I'm not following. I don't <laughs> choose things because I love them. Yeah. That makes sense? Why do you choose things? Because they make sense. Like logically. Like I'm like... This business makes the most sense and is like the most likely vehicle to create the kind of person I want to create that I have to become to to run this business. Ping pong logically doesn't make sense. Like I don't think I will become that person through the hardships that ping pong is going to bring. <laughs> Even if I love ping pong, I also love cake. I don't eat cake all day. That makes sense. It does. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a strict diet you stick to? No, I used to. I counted my okay. macros for like 11 years. Really? Because I was really fat, and so I was afraid of getting fat again. How did you, how did you get fat to begin with? Was it, was it just something that, you know, just excessive eating? 
not a, exercise. I mean, I'm curious. Or <laughs> yes. some, yeah, okay. Well, it's like people are like, yeah. how'd you get fat? I'm like, I well, eat more. Than my <laughs> I, <laughs> I eat more calories. What kind of but question, like, man? Come some on. Some of it I feel like could be hereditary. Better, some man. of it could be hereditary. I, I don't know. I'm not. Hereditary? I'm not on it. Yeah, that's kind of today bullshit. with my questions. Neither I'm really not. I, I feel so off. Yeah. Hereditary. It's yeah. Like I inherited their bad habits of food. It could be. Well, okay. Then then that. Yeah, but people love that excuse. No, I mean my family. You know, my my mother was southern. My dad was Iranian. Like. Probably didn't have the best food in the house, but like, I mean, I let myself go. I think, you know, at probably when I was like my upper teens, it was bad. I just drank a ton and then would eat out and I was just being irresponsible. And I think just for that period of time, it was almost like we didn't get out of high school and it's like, oh my God, I'm free. Like, mm-hmm. that's how I felt at least, like mm-hmm. not being under the roof of my parents, like finally being free. I was like, oh my God. And then I just disregarded everything that I had been doing and kind of who I was. And I, that's when I gained more weight. Um, and I went from like, you know, having some weight to like, I was fat. Um, and when you say I, drinking, are you talking about alcohol? Oh yeah. Okay. Lots of alcohol. And that has a ton of calories. I don't know yeah. people think about that. How did you move out at 18? You don't see a lot of people just moving out at 18. Oh, well, unless they're going to out to college. Okay. I went, yeah, Got I went it. to college. Okay. So I went and lived in the dorms. Got it. Yeah. One thing that's kind of interesting to me is when I see people that are like exceptional in what they do, I always wonder what is the main driving factor of being this? Obviously it has to be something maybe from childhood or growing up, but you were saying when you were in college, you were okay with college, like you didn't love it or anything, but all the while you were reading Tony Robbins books, right? Yeah. And trying to like develop your yourself, right? Yeah. What do you think it is in your life that caused you to have this this drive to be exceptional? Is it something that like your a value your parents instilled in you? Is it just a unique thing that maybe is just like 10% of people have it? Or what, yeah. what causes you to have this? I think where it started and where it comes from now are different. So I think where it started from was, um, you know, my parents ended up being divorced when I was like, I don't remember, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up living with my mother who then became an alcoholic and like went super down that rabbit hole. Um, and I essentially didn't want to tell anybody because I was, I didn't, you know, it's like, it's so funny to say, cause like, I love my dad so much now and he's, we're really close, but um, I didn't know him super well back then. Like I felt like he was always at work and such. So they got divorced. I didn't want to live with him. Um, and so I was instead with my mother and I didn't want to tell anyone that she had all these issues and she would like leave me at home for long periods of time and wouldn't come back. And then she would be in the hospital and then she would like, I remember one time she was just like passed out on the driveway and like the police came cause the neighbors called like just crazy shit like that. Right. And so I essentially had to raise myself until I was 15 when she tried to kill herself and I called the cops and they came and then they said, you can't live with her anymore. And so they took me to my dad and then he was like, what's been going on? And I was like, all of this. And so I told him. And so I think a lot of it was looking at her as a person and seeing, like, I was like, how do you do that to your kid? One, I'm like, how do you like become the mother that like becomes this like crazy alcoholic and like, you know, exposes your kid to all this stuff and leaves them for weeks at a time when they're young, you know, aren't taking care of themselves. And I just wanted to be the opposite of that. Like I was like, I will, I actually remember the moment when I was sitting in the guest room of my, my mother's house and she like hadn't come home for like three days and I was calling her again and I was like, fuck, is she dead? Like, and I always just assumed I'm like, one time I'm going to call and she's just gonna be dead or something. And I hung up the phone cause she didn't answer for like the 18th time. And I was like, screw this. And I was like, I'm not going to be some victim sitting here calling her, waiting for her to come home. I was like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to make my life fucking awesome. Like she has, because she would always tell me, she's like, well, I had a really bad childhood and all this shit. And I was like, dude, so you and 50 million other people on this earth. And so I think looking at it, I was just like, I will not be a victim of the circumstance. I will instead allow this to be a reason why I succeed. 
and this will propel me to my success. And I remember thinking that, and I was like, and I'm going to help other people do the same and see that circumstances should not dictate how your life turns out. And it was in that moment that I was like, I want to invest in myself. And I started looking at Tony Robbins and Nimrod and all that mm. stuff, you know, when I found them years later, but it was often a lot of not wanting to be like her um, and seeing, and then noticing the pattern in like so many women that they didn't take care of themselves. They couldn't take care of themselves. They always relied on men. Um, I think I almost like to an extent, like had a distaste for people like that, which I don't need more, which I'm glad about. Um, but I really, deeply never wanted to rely on someone else. And I never wanted to be a victim of circumstance. And I think it was just watching her just do that over and over again and seeing what it turned into her life. And I just, I felt very sad for her. And that was what put me in that direction. I no longer feel that that's what's propelling me mm -hmm. because I feel like it's like, I am obviously not that. What propels me now is more of a desire to honestly just meet my future self and see what's possible. Like I think that we're all made of the same stuff, right? And so it's like, I can literally do, I, I truly believe, I'm like, I could do anything that anyone else on earth has done. And I think that's really freaking cool. And so now it's more of a desire to see what that looks like and to meet the person that I have to become in 20 or 30 years when I put myself in situations where there's more pressure to become that kind of person. So I like putting myself in a business and setting very high goals because there's external circumstance that is forcing internal change. In order to make this successful, make the external successful, the business, I have to become a different person. And I like that because I think that's constant challenge. And so I think it, it shifted over time. I think when I was probably around like 19 or 20, I went from not wanting to be like her or be like anyone like that to wanting something more, probably because I think I, I went through a lot of like dealing with it around that age because mm -hmm. I was very angry for a long time. Like I was just angry about the situation and I changed my mindset around it. And I was like, I am so, and I really like, I am, deeply thankful for this situation. I am deeply thankful that that happened because I think I would have been so soft had that not happened. Like my my parents were very protective of me as a kid. And until they got divorced and I was in that situation with her, I think that they probably would have continued to be very protective of me. And I don't know if I would have learned how to lead myself, learned how to manage myself, learned how to manage my emotions, had I not been exposed to it young. And I think getting exposed to it young um, was a huge advantage for me because a lot of people are like, how old are you? And like, how have you achieved? I'm like, I think I started being able to parent myself and manage myself at a very young age. And so it's, it's helped me now. That's interesting. So basically it was a, a slow decline. And then you apparently had to hit this rock bottom moment in order to flip that light switch and change, I guess, your, I don't know, the way that you felt about success in your own life. Yeah, I think I just realized that, you know, I forgave her um for everything that it went through i mean i just look at it from a very unbiased point of view i'm like she's just a human and like so many people on this earth have so many issues mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with them and she was not equipped with those tools and she didn't have access to some of the things i have access to now so she never dealt with that stuff and she's just i don't know chosen to never do anything about it now so i don't know i think it was just like dealing with that and being like i'm okay with that and i'm actually like really glad because i realized probably around that age i was like all of what I got to see showed me so much about what I did want because I knew what I didn't want. I was like, I definitely don't want that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what I do want looks more like this. And then over time it became a lot less of I don't want that and more just this is what I do want. I've seen that a lot mm -hmm. where people, they grow up in an environment and like they, they see their parents' life and they're like, I do not want that for myself. And that's a really powerful motivator yeah. is to not be like someone. Also in the same way of like being like someone or being better than mm -hmm. someone, not being like someone is also extremely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want kids? Not right now. Okay. No. Um, I 
think that a lot of women want children when they don't feel fulfilled by other areas of their life. And typically that's like in your young 20s, you're not fulfilled yet. You haven't figured out what you wanted. Um, and typically, you know, men are more apt to like have pursued their career earlier. I started pursuing my career fairly early. And so the opportunity for me to really feel a gap where children would fill it, it just like never occurred. And so I think um, I would love if I had a kid with Alex. Like, I think the one thing is like, oh, I would love to have a kid with him specifically, mm. right? Like us have like a little shared thing. It's like, oh, it's half of you and half of you. <laughs> so cute, right? Like very cute. I don't think I would enjoy the day-to-day -day as much as I enjoy the day-to-day -day of what I do now without kids. Mm. So one thing Alex mentioned about having a kid uh -huh. is that he says it could be a selfish thing to have a kid because a lot of people are selfish insofar as like they want to see their kid they want to see that kid is me that kid is a representation of me and i like me so i love my kid mm -hmm. what do you think about that i agree with him really mm -hmm. what do you think explain it, it it's selfish he just says to, like yeah it's it's usually motivated by being selfish because like uh, people, he says people can oftentimes be inherently selfish, like some people, a lot of people. Uh, and that's like the motivation of having a kid. You like, could you argue yourself. both ways. I feel like you could say that's one of the most unselfish things because then you put your child before you or you would, you would hope that would be the case. Mm. But then you dedicate, you know, so much of your, like you could be spending your time doing anything else, but now you're taking care of another person, like raising another person. That person becomes a priority. I think it could go either way, but it could be done initially out of selfish, selfish reasons of I, maybe, maybe you're unfulfilled or uh, maybe yeah. it's something to replace. Like, you know, I don't feel purpose, but now with a child, I feel purpose. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it could go both ways. I feel. I think most people have a kid to give themselves purpose and then they put a lot of pressure onto the child to fulfill the purpose that they've desired. Mm -hmm. And so that kid has all this pressure on them from a parent that's not warranted. And the kid never wanted that pressure, right? But it's what the parent has wanted from the kid. And so I think a lot of times they try to project, it's almost like using it as like a projection of oneself. And so I think in those situations, it doesn't make sense to have a kid. And I mean, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I mean, I would like my, I'm not yet enough of a realized person to want to have a kid and be like, I'm okay if Johnny hates me and is unsuccessful. Because here's the thing, he could hate you and be an unsuccessful person. You could have a kid and they could be a piece of shit and they could hate you and like never do anything with their lives. And you have to be okay with that. I was in a room with Tony Robbins just like a month ago and he literally talked about this. He's like, dude, you have got to be okay with the fact that if you have a kid, he was talking to some woman. Mm -hmm. He's like that that kid might not be successful at all and might not like you. Do you still want to have a kid? That's worst case scenario. Wow. Can you live with the worst case scenario? That is worst case scenario. That's exactly what Alex said. Alex, well, this is what Alex said. He says, mm -hmm. Uh, he would have a hard time saying that he wants them to be their own person. He would want them to be who he wants them to be. Yeah, he would. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree say with the same thing. I mean, really? I, yeah, I, I'd have a very, it would obviously I mean, yeah. hurt as a parent. It's like, you try so hard to like raise your kid to be moral or ethical. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm not going to say anything, but doing bad stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah, I'm so worried with the kids tend to rebel. And if like, I'm so focused on like, you know, hey, improving yourself and making money and growing and like, you know, filling your passion. And they're like, ah, that's stupid because dad does it. I'm just going to go smoke weed. And like, that's all they do. I'd be so upset. I just feel <laughs> like the best parenting strategy is leading by example. Like, obviously there are some times where you're going to have to step in, you know, tell your kid, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But for the most part, like, I feel like people are moral and they know when they did something wrong for the most part. And if you're always just a good person, your kid will see that they'll respect it. You know what I mean? Will they? 
Yeah, because kids will always be betrayed by their friends. There will always be an ebb and flow to relationships with their peers, right? But if you can be this fatherly figure that the kid can always look up to and be like, there is no ebb and flow to my dad. He's always been good to me. He always loves me. He always supports me in all of my actions. And you just live your own life and lead by example. There's no ebb and flow to that. They're a constant. Yeah, I don't agree. I think it just depends on the kid. I mean, I've seen the same, but then humans have this natural proclivity to rebel. And so it's like, if you set the standard, even if you're not trying to coerce someone into an action, they know when you're trying to influence them. And humans naturally rebel when they think that they're under influence, which is why so many kids rebel against their parents. There's lots of studies on this. So I think it depends on the intelligence level of the kid. Like I could look at my parents when I was a kid and be like, my dad does this, that's good, right? Mm -hmm. So I think some kids, 100%, that is, and let's be real, it's better to lead by example than not. Yes. It's just that when they're of a certain age, when they're very like, they're very drawn to that rebellion stage, that they just do the opposite. But right? the thing is, so it like, usually is like an echo chamber. For example, your kid rebels and then you get mad at your kid and the kid's like, oh, well, this is the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to get mad at me. Like, that's pretty bad, but I can deal with that. Instead of like, just, I feel like letting it kind of happen as long as it's not like outside of what you deem okay. Mm -hmm. And then obviously being upset by it, but like not like shunning your kid and like pointing fingers and stuff like that. You yeah. Know? Well, that's not, I think most people don't understand how to use punishment and that punishment actually is not useful most of the time. Why do you think punishment's not useful? Because what is punishment actually doing? Like, are they learning anything from, if the goal is that they don't do this thing again, then now what you're teaching them is that you get this, this bad thing happens when you've done a bad thing, but you're not teaching them how to be better. You're not helping them realize for themselves mm -hmm. why they could do something differently the next time. And it's not autonomous either. It's you are an external person, you know, inflicting a punishment upon them versus like them deciding for themselves that it's not a good idea. So I feel like it just takes away a lot of autonomy. It's kind of like if an employee makes a mistake in my business, am I gonna yell at them and be like, you did not do a good job and because of this, you're getting taken away? And I'm like, no, I am also a human who makes mistakes. I do not do that. Uh, I put Jack in timeouts so many times. Yeah, <laughs> Like Jack, no, okay. I, yeah, I hated I'm, it. Yeah. Part of me though feels like as a child within like a certain range of activities that they could be doing, it's like putting on a timeout or something negative moves them away from that pain. And so they're like, well, if I don't scream at the restaurant, I, I don't have to go and sit by myself for 30 minutes with nothing to do. And so then you could learn social cues by like, I don't want to be in timeout, so I'm not going to do that long enough for you to like recognize that that's not something to do. I agree to an extent. It's just that most children then find a way to just avoid the punishment. So they'll just figure out a way to do it without you finding out as the parent. So they're not taught to not do the thing. They're taught to know now if I do the thing, I get punished. And now I have to figure out how to avoid that punishment. Maybe. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I can't say. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think I have a very, very similar viewpoint. And um, when I grew up and I went to school, I went to, to two completely opposite schools. One was in a you know very impoverished area and was one was very wealthy. And I learned that at this wealthy school, um, a lot of the kids have great examples for parents, right? They have parents that had successful careers. Uh, half the time, you know, it's like a, a whole family or whatever you want to call it. And I noticed that those kids um, would rebel probably more than, 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 than the ones over here. And, um, I think that just because if you lead by example, doesn't mean that your kid will want that. I think they're going to want what they want. Well, there's and, a difference yeah. between leading by example and enabling. Cause I know that's a pretty big stereotype is like, if you're a wealthy parent, you kind of enable your kid to do these bad things. Cause you can always get them out of trouble. And I think that is also kind of like, it's like the opposite of punishment, right? Enabling kind of. It's like they're both the, the extremes on the spectrum.
Alex made a reference about the two types of relationships that in his mind he thinks work. So one is the we are in this together relationship where two people are, you know, split partners, split responsibilities. He says that's what you and him are. Um, and then the other one is the cheerleader and the quarterback with the cheerleader cheering on the quarterback. And um, that's not as successful of a dynamic as we are in this together. What do you think about that? Are those the two real only dynamics that you think will work? And do you agree that we are in this together is the most powerful dynamic for a successful relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, there's a study that's been done that basically talks about the three dynamics of relationship and who's the happiest versus who's the most successful versus who's not, right? So the most successful and the ones that make the most money are the ones that have our dynamic, where it's two people that share the power that are in the same vehicle together that are driving towards something, right? So they have a shared career, uh, they're in it together and they split it and it's equal power, right? They make the most money, but they're not the most content. They're happy, but they're not the most content. The most content are actually people who, they each have their own individual career, which is similar, but separate, right? Um, but they're both like leading the way in those careers. And then the last one are the people who are the most content, but make, make the least amount of money and impact, which is uh, one person is the dominating force and the other person is like the assistant or supporter. Um, more content for sure, uh, less money and impact. So there's a study done, Esther Perel broke it down, basically talked about those three. Mm. So I think what he was pointing out is basically just like, there's a couple things, which is like, that's what we see most commonly. And this is like speaking in generalization. So yeah. like, I see those tend to work best also because it's clarity of roles. Right, like it's really clear that either you're in this together or it's like one person's doing it and the other one's following. And I think a lot of people, if you go outside of that, then you have to define it for yourself. So I'd say other forms of relationships could absolutely be successful. It's just that most people don't clarify it. Like most people don't clarify what our relationship is. What are the rules of this relationship game? And if we're not picking one that's off the shelf, what's it gonna be? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't take the time to decide like, are you a want match for me? Like is what I want and what you want, are they the same thing? And are we gonna write it down and make it very clear? Because I think, that's where most people go wrong. And that's why it's in both those scenarios, it's so well defined that it's yeah. almost, it's hard to argue. That makes sense. Yeah. So I do think that that is probably, I, I agree with what he's saying. We talk about it a lot because we're like, we also recognize that like our relationship is not like most. And it's, I think it's honestly just a unique situation in which like we met under weird circumstances. We're both kind of odd people and like have different, you know, things that we're like interested in. Um, and we just work. And I don't think that our relationship advice should apply to everybody, like at all. In fact, I, apply, I think it applies to less people. It's like, if you put two people in the same room, think about this, right? Like if you go on a deserted island with somebody, it's like, and you're stuck there for like a month, you most likely will love that person at the end of that month, whether you want to or not, whether you even like them or not, you may love them mm -hmm. because it's almost like a feeling of comfort. And so I think that it's it's just reminding ourselves like feelings are always gonna be fleeting. If we have a good argument and a good foundation for the marriage that's logical, then it's more likely to last in the long run. And so it's also, I guess, you know, it'd be like, what is your goal? Some people don't care about being married forever or like for the rest of their lives. And like a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people are like, Layla, I don't jive with that. And so I'm also speaking in terms of like, if you wanna be married for a long time, I've done a lot of research on that. I've read a lot about it. And I feel pretty strongly that, that I'm gonna be right. Do you have any dating advice for Jack? Are you dating? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be dating. Yeah. What's that mean? How are you trying? Because I'm not really like, like, I feel like in order to qualify as dating, you probably need to be going on dates. Okay. Then you're trying to go on dates, but you're not. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like <laughs> trying super hard to go on dates, but if the opportunity is presented, you know, then I probably go on a date. Yeah. That's going to be hard. You're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. I think realistically, I just need more urgency with it. 
you know. How old I, are you? 23. Oh, you're young. Yeah. I need to be more motivated. I that think was when I met Alex. I was 23. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. I got to get on it. But I don't really spend much time on them to be honest. Like I, I like I said, there's an ebb and flow to my motivation with dating. Sometimes mm. I really want a girlfriend, sometimes I don't. And I, I figure if there is an ebb and flow like that, probably means it's not the right time. So I think that's normal actually. Okay. Maybe it is perfect. Maybe it's the perfect <laughs> time. <laughs> I mean, there's totally times when you're gonna be in a relationship and you're gonna be like, I could be totally fine being single. Yeah. Yeah. That's me and Alex actually talk about that. We're like, Yeah, if you died, I don't know if I get remarried. You probably would, right? No. You wouldn't? Dude, that's like, I feel like I'm like the worst, like, I would have a lot of money and like run this big business and like have had a husband that I like ran it with who then, you know, died. It's like, who's my candidate pool? Like younger guys, like I feel like a lot of men don't like the fact that I want all these things for myself and I have these ambitions. Or I find someone who's like a complete beta and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll like fly on your private jet and take all your money and do all that, which I wouldn't marry that person yeah. because I would definitely not want them to take all my money. So it's like, what purpose does marriage serve? It's like, it's like I don't know if it would serve a purpose at that point. You could always have a life partner or someone that you're what? with. You know, without, exactly. Without I don't marriage. know if I would yeah. get married legally sure. to that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at that point, I just feel like, and then I don't know. I mean, Alex is always like, it wasn't fucked built together. Yeah. What? It wasn't built together if you get a new person, right? Yeah, it wasn't built together. And I... And then at a certain point, you're like, because I think the reason that people get married, get married changes, right? It's like a lot of people get married to have kids together and start a family. There's always like a purpose behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people get married, you know, we got married because we wanted to build this life together, right? And so it's like, if I have built the life that I've wanted and say I don't have kids and don't want kids, and then I'm 45 and, you know, Alex is no longer there, why would I get married? And it would probably yeah. be if I wanted to start some kind of new life or new something with somebody. But if I'm content in my own, then yeah. I don't know why I'd get married. That makes sense. There is a possibility. You seem very set in your ways, like about how you are so excited to meet your future self, right? There is a chance that one day you wake up and all of your your desires from that just completely change into something like, I want to live on a ranch in Montana. There's a chance, right? Yeah. And so what if the right guy comes along, you know, he's your plumber, he's fixing your pipes. You're assuming and, Alex wow, is dead. Yeah. Assuming <laughs> pretty Gosh. dismal conversation, but there's a chance something like that could happen, right? There's a ch- yeah. Do you think there's a chance that no. one day you can just wake this up is, and I want to- It's a weird, a lot of assumptions have to happen there, Jack. Yeah. So Alex is listening and he's like, what the fuck, like, Jack? If this happens, right. if that happens, right, and then Alex, over here- my bad, man. Jack is basically- I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, I'll say this oh to your God. point, which is, I think if I look at like who I was when I was even two years old versus who I am now, I think there's always been an inherent, like, I've always been someone who's pursued challenges in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't plan on stopping and maybe I do wake up and one day, you know, I mean, that's the thing though, is like there's plenty of days I feel like doing that, that I'm like, hey, we could just retire and get a ranch and do it. Like, of course there's days where that sounds like more incentivizing. I just never have given into that feeling. Mm. So I would have to change a lot as a human in order to do that. I don't feel like it. I'm not going on some ayahuasca trip anytime soon, which mm-hmm. is one I've seen a lot of people, you know, they do yeah. some weird thing like that and then they're like, boop, other way. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah, you, yeah, what are your thoughts on like psychedelics and ayahuasca? Have you, have you tried any of that? I'm no. just curious, no? No, I've done a lot of drugs like in my past, but yeah. like not like, the hippie drugs, like hard drugs. Okay. Um, I don't even know how to define the those. Hippie drug, but, yeah. but I feel like there's a difference of hard drugs. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's like the oh, like the you know. I, I haven't done like yeah. meth or anything. But I mean, like, <laughs> okay. All yeah. Right, well, let's, well, be clear, <laughs> let's be clear. Let's be clear. During my partying phase, like I try, I was like, sure, I'll try something. Like I was just super irresponsible. I didn't yeah. think about consequences. Um, yeah. 
but I've not like since that phase. I haven't done drugs just because what? I'm thinking. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? What the, the meth? What? <laughs> the meth comment? What? We had a guy on the podcast a long time ago. Oh, uh, who was a for, man. former addict? Oh, and he talked about meth. And Jack's question was, "How do you do it?" <laughs> this was early on in and the podcast. I was like, you know, Jack, like, you don't ask that. I and ask what like, my brain wants me to ask. It, that, that's like if you have an alcoholic and you're like, yeah. what was your favorite drink? Can you describe no, it? Yeah. It was Jake. It was Jake. Yeah, it was Jake. What Jake, I did Jake, was yeah. I read the room and he said he was comfortable he was, talking about whatever. He was comfortable. And I really had no idea. You know, it was an itch. I, I wanted to scratch it. So I asked the question. I actually love that. That's right? a great question. It's like, what do you do? Right? I don't yeah. want to say certain ways to that. I think I, it can be done, but I, what do you do? I, kind of, I mean, I asked, we, was, we met a guy and he was like, I have two wives. And I was like, tell me how that works. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, well, see, what if what, two of you do? I just have sex in front of the other person on your bed? Like, yeah, what do you do? And he was watched. super happy to tell me. And I was like, interesting. It's just satisfying that random, you know, little curiosity. See, I just think you could have Googled that. Like that wasn't. I want to know how he for, specifically did it, man. Him. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to know. You know. <laughs> oh my god! Did he describe it? I don't think he did. No, because you wouldn't let him. I didn't think it was appropriate for the podcast. Mm. To describe how this guy. Yeah, is, you know, that's you a, know. that's a good point. That's yeah, because yeah, you don't want to like. Yeah. Be like, oh, I'm gonna go try. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we don't want to teach people how to. <laughs> no. Do you guys do psychedelics? No. Okay. I've I've never done anything. I, I'll incriminate myself here. I've I've tried weed like three times in my entire life, and that was it. And I hated it every single time. The first time I was sixteen, and I was hanging out like, like in the band group, and all of them were stoners. Yeah. And so I would see them doing it. I was like, I was just curious. I'm like, what what's appealing about this? I never had any desires. So I'm gonna try it, and hated it instantaneously like i didn't like that feeling of not being in control i, I felt paranoid i was like i, I thought the police were going to show up and just like arrest all of us i hated it but then they're like no you got you gotta do it again because like the first time is never good like the second time i tried to say it was hated it just as much and i think there was a third time years later where i was like eh, it, maybe i hated it there's not uh, one point i ever enjoyed it so yeah. no that was my only ever experience okay yeah, I'm not really like a proponent. I think most people are like, oh, it opens up my brain. It makes me smarter. And I'm like, it literally turns off part of your brain. I don't really think that makes you smarter. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't think, like if you really study what they do, they yeah. turn off different parts of the brains. And then people are like, I can make better decisions. I'm like, can you though? I don't. I yeah. think the argument is that with certain parts of your brain shut off, you can kind of isolate your focus to other parts of your brain and it kind of simplifies things. Yeah. Do I necessarily agree that like it's a good strategy to find clarity? No, but can it be used as a tool to find clarity? Probably. Yeah, I've always been curious about like being able to tap into different senses of like creativity or different thoughts that you would never have otherwise. But then it's like I would never want to like alter myself in such a way where you would rely on that or maybe no. like that's the only way you could tap into that. And I, I've been so terrified of doing anything because I'm like, if I if I like it, it would be hard for me not to justify continuing. So it's probably best. I just don't. I mean, I think that's a really sound strategy. That's basically how I operate, which is like, I would probably like it. And so I do not want to try it. Like I tried things in my past and I liked them. And I was like, I do not want to try it. Like you try like, and even like stuff like Adderall. I'm like, oh my God, I really like Adderall. Not doing that again. You know, like mm -hmm. it's just, it just don't want to even risk it. Yeah. I think for me, I limit it just to coffee. 
Like yeah. Coffee's the coffee perfect is, balance. It, it is addictive. It's quite. It is incredibly and addictive. And you kind of rely on it. Now, yeah, right? I couldn't go a day what's, without what's the a problem cup of coffee. Now? How much do you drink? Uh, usually two cups of coffee, it's which it's not, it's not bad, not but conservative, Graham. Come on, it's not. Three. I how <laughs> how many cups of coffee do you see around the house that are half finished? Is that coffee? I see no. This way is too many to be two cups a day, man. No, because I don't pick up the glasses. That could be glass from like days ago. That's a different problem, man. If you're like. I what leaving glass? It's, yeah. So sometimes I'll just I'll have a coffee like this. We picked three glasses from the the podcast. I'm gonna leave it, and so, then then it gets watered down. I two cups like of I, coffee. I feel is like how Jack much is right. I right. So now two that you, cups. That you it's rely, not three. I know 100 percent it's not three. Now that you it's rely not. on coffee, right? Yeah. How bad is it that you drink it every day? If you could find something else that was as inconvenient to drink as coffee, but it was it had the amount of upside that coffee does. It was just another random thing. Let's just say. Terrible example, smoking a cigarette, okay? But there wasn't really like the health detriment of smoking it. Would you step outside and smoke a couple cigarettes per day if you got what? the same amount of benefit of coffee? No, no probably detriment. not. No, for me, so? for me, the coffee is like, I really enjoy the taste. <laughs> I like sipping on something. I like a cold drink and I never drink warm coffee. It's about yeah. having a, like a cold drink over ice. But something what if about you enjoy the taste of menthol? <laughs> what if I enjoyed no, anything else? Okay, I mean, what does like, that have to do with menthol? Do you guys think coffee's bad? I don't think coffee's bad. I think that the logic you're using's a touch flawed. You know, because you <laughs> two cups a day, Jack. We get Macy in here; she'll tell me. Okay, that, that's not the, the, the point cups. here. But right. you know, the the coffee consumption—you rely on it every single I do, day. I do. I do rely on it. Right, and if you weren't to have, if you, if you wouldn't have it, right, wouldn't you feel poorly? Correct. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, here's the thing. I've gone off coffee multiple times. You feel like shit for like a few days and then you're fine. Yeah, but no. Like, it's the, better when you have it. Yeah, sure. yeah. I've, the last time, I think it was like 2018, it was like five years ago, that I, I stopped drinking coffee for like a month and I found myself, I was less happy. I was not motivated and I made less money. And like immediately when that happened, I was like, let me just drink coffee. Like the it's happy not and motivated part's not you know it's, it's no big deal. But the money part, the money, like, okay, yeah. Let's get back but no, I coffee. just I lost that sense of enjoyment. It was weird. Like the first two weeks sucked, and that was like I was just going to bed early and just you know tired, groggy in the morning. But after like three weeks, it kind of wore off. I kind of my my mood mm -hmm. and my energy was about the same. But I just lacked that like something to look forward to. And for me, it was just like I looked forward to just having that cup of coffee. I don't know what it Why'd is. Why did you take okay. a month off? Uh, I wanted to see if I could do it and I read something online or I watched a YouTube video about being addicted to caffeine and uh, maybe it was like ASAP science or something of, of your body on caffeine. They mentioned that there's like 20 days or something like that, that your body gets rid of it. And like, because you built up such a tolerance to it, I just figured it's probably a healthy thing to do. Mm. I mean, but, people that they've done studies on this is like one cup of coffee a day. Those people live longer and are happier on average yeah but they now, say that, that about cause or correlation yeah, i don't know yeah but like i think it's dosage like most things like did you know if you smoke a cigarette three times a week doesn't really do shit like people don't talk about that they're not like you can only smoke three a week and stuff like smoking is so bad for you but like if you smoked three a week you most likely would never have anything yeah happen. but don't you think if you smoked three a week that it would be very easy to for that person to want four the habit or then yeah bad. correct sure but if you have self-control or discipline if you're somebody that can actually do that which i know people who are like they'll smoke a cigarette once a week or every two weeks or whatever yeah. and you know that they, they know all these things um they're like that's not bad but it's it's the habit that gets people into it so yeah. you can't stop I mean, it's like anything in life, right? If we have too much of it, it's probably not going to yeah. be good. I watched a good video uh, from Yes Theory where they visited the country that lives the longest. And for them, it was wine. 
and they would be drinking a lot of wine. It was like two to three glasses a day of wine. But it seemed to be more of the lifestyle that it's a lot of socializing and a lot of just like a community aspect within a small town, and they're all like drinking wine together. And it seems like that's probably better for you than the wine itself. I would think so, the communal aspect of it. I mean, like America doesn't have much of that at all. No. Oh, and their work schedule, I think, was uh, like three days or four days. Like, they had a much different schedule. I forget where this was. It was a really good video. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there was another channel that uh, got recommended. What is it? Sky Life, where she interviewed some of the oldest living people and tried to figure out their their secrets. And a lot of it was having purpose, work. uh, But for them, it was um, their church and, like, staying alive long enough to you know, spread the gospel and, and network with other people. Not network. It's a <laughs> network, but but have that supportive community where they're all like aligned together. And and oh, you know what it was? It was uh, part of their religion was very much about like no caffeine, no drinking, no smoking, uh, all natural foods, and I think that really fed into it. Hmm. Who knows? That's the thing. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to bring up or talk about here? I was going to ask yeah. you guys what your goals are right now. That was my next question. Just like, what's the goal in terms of like with iced coffee hour versus the, you know, the main channel? Like, what are you guys focused on right now? Uh, main channel for me is always like the top of the, the <laughs> top of the totem pole. It's about to say pyramid. pyramid. <laughs> top of the pyramid. <laughs> I can't, you can't say pyramid anymore without no. making it sound yeah, like a scam. A scam. <laughs> I've basically just gotten to a point where I really feel like I should be diversifying and trying different things and not just having you know, the the main channel, which has basically been my core for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And I know that I cannot sustain three videos a week indefinitely. There's gotta be a point where eventually I'm gonna scale down to two, maybe there's gonna be one, um, or maybe it just, you know, just five years from now, I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I don't wanna continue uh, making those videos, mm-hmm. who knows. But I wanna have other things that I could do in conjunction with that main channel. Um, so it started off as a second channel, which was the reaction videos. We've done the iced coffee hour, which I believe has probably the most longevity for many things. Because uh, it's interview but, style. Right. But yeah. then it's like you don't want to just be, uh, you know, on camera all the time. And I felt like creator properties would be a great way where I could continue focusing on all the other channels, yeah. which are my priority right now while still investing and getting back to the roots of real estate. What is Creator Properties? So it's a syndication where we could team up with other accredited investors and buy a property that is significantly bigger than I would be able to do on my own. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Pineda has such a tight team that's able to handle all of the day-to-day. And so that's where the benefit really came in the sense that, you know, I could invest my money into this and get exposure to deals that I wouldn't have done on my own. Because I just, I wouldn't have the time to find them. I wouldn't have the time to manage them. So much work that goes uh, on behind the scenes in terms of like fixing yeah. up and remodeling. I couldn't do that. And it's, it's, it would pull time away from everything else that I'm doing. So you put your money in there and then how do you find the other people to, you know, uh, put capital in? Just our own network. Um, okay. Whether that be just putting a link in the description. I've, I've talked about it every now and then. Ryan talked about it when he was on the podcast. Uh, I found so far that usually just 
placing a link in the description. I, I don't yeah. like to be too pitchy. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm always afraid like, Hey guys, you know, go and sign up and it, Oh, you know, it's expiring in 30 days and you got to do it now. Like, I, I just don't feel good about that. Um, so I, usually I like it's just, I, I feel better just putting a link in the description. I'll casually mention it. And that's, and that's it. And I feel like the people who are interested are more likely to do that anyway than yeah. like having it forced. So What's the typical, you know, what's the minimum that someone has to put into one of those deals? It depends on the deal. Uh, it's going to be between probably twenty five and seventy five thousand dollars. Oh shit, it's low. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too because I was thinking like for your channel, like if it's like five hundred grand or something. I'm no, like, how many people no. Do you yeah, yeah, okay. No, um, yeah, the first deal uh, was twenty five, and I think going forward it's going to be higher. Um, but a lot of the other ones that I've heard, uh, mm -hmm. some of the biggest ones are. Uh, 250 to 350 grand. Yeah. And like, they won't take anyone lower than that. And that's like the standard they've set mm -hmm. and uh, they get it. Yeah. So I think for this first one, we really just wanted to test a proof of concept and we felt like, you know, 25 was an appropriate amount. Yeah, that makes sense. As long as it's to somebody that 25 is not much money, it's not hard to do that. It's not yeah. like a lot of pressure on you guys. Right. That's interesting. So do you want to do more things like that? Is that what the goal is? I think the goal is to to do that in conjunction with everything else. I mean, right now my goal is just to continue focusing on main second podcast channels. Have you guys thought about creating your own product? I'm not a product person. I mean, I, I've wasted so much just energy and mental thoughts on like, oh, I should be doing this. And you know, when Alex was here, he got me thinking like, oh man, what am I doing? My strength and my enjoyment comes from making videos. And so right now that should be my focus. I think anything else, I'm not that person. I'm, I love just getting down, planning out a video, scripting, filming, title thumbnail like that that's what i like doing and that's i think I my strength yeah i think you should do that yeah. i guess i just like from my perspective right like like there's so many people that just want to work with somebody like you and mm. build the business below it and like yeah. not bother you with any of it but they could i don't know i i i, I get my fingers in everything it, it's hard for me to, to resist? no it, okay. it's really hard for me to take a, a backseat approach and just let someone else handle it it's really difficult Fair. um if I see something, I'm like, no, it should be done this way. And I, I, I get too, you know, nitpicky with things. So I've kind of realized that limitation is just. Yeah. Yeah. And attaching definitely. my name to anything, I would be a perfectionist in that. Knowing that if something goes bad, then I would obsess over how could I fix that. That would be hard to scale something then. Yeah. Sure. That makes so, sense then. Yeah. Main focus is just the iced coffee hour. For sure. And growing and having the best possible guests on, talking about the coolest possible stuff and, I don't know, making the best content. Do That's you see something that Graham doesn't see in terms of like where there's potential for the business? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, certainly. I'm... I, I'm like very much so like, hey, let's keep like trying out new things, uh, like hiring on more people, building, building, building. And Graham is very much like what we're doing right now is working. Let's just continue doing it. And if we continue doing that, we'll continue moving up. So, but I like, I'm, I think maybe I'm a little bit more risky, you know, mm. and uh, I want to try out more things that maybe are a little bit more exhausting, such as potentially hiring someone and, you know, doing stuff like that. But Interesting. I think both are needed though. So that's a good yeah. balance. Yeah. It's just like, most of the time, what you do is needed. And then every once in a while, we need a new idea. So it's like, how can you, in a safe environment, continue to test ideas that's like low risk, low capital. And then when one does work, then you're like, I like that too. Then you can yeah. do it. I think for me on the iced coffee hour, the biggest thing is how can we break out of our, I don't want to call it a rut, but right now, our, the, the guests that we have on is within our sphere of influence. 
and it's people that we know or or people that we've reached out to or get back to us or who want to come on. Uh, there's plenty of people like that, but we want to get into just musicians, actors, uh, people that we would never ordinarily come in contact with through the YouTube space. Mm. And we're having a hard time doing that because we look at, let's say, podcasts like uh, Nelk or Impulsive, mm-hmm. and they're getting some of these people like, How? I, I can't believe it, like Nelk got the president on or, or the former president, Trump. Um, and like, I'm not expecting that we would get a you know president on, but some of the people that they're on, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did they do that? That's incredible. Um, and I think we need to break into that. Do you know those people? Like of the podcast Impulsive? Could you talk yes. to them? Uh, no, I mean, I, I watch their podcast. I watch okay. almost every single one of them. Yeah, because I feel like the fastest way is actually not to go figure out how to get the influencers or like the celebrities or the musicians or any of that stuff. It'd be to go to the people that have those podcasts and say, how do you get these people on your show? They literally just DM them. I mean, Logan Paul has 20 million followers yeah. on Instagram. So it's like he DMs anybody they see it. That he's so interesting. Top, so. Right. Yeah. So if you tried DMing, they just don't respond. Yeah, we we would send out. I mean, <laughs> Jack's like, Jack was like, DM Celine <laughs> okay, Dion, on, DM Bruno Mars. No, like, Jack, okay, you're never yeah. going to get so back to us. What we used to do is we'd go Madonna. on these walks and we'd come up with a list of like 20 possible people we could bring on the podcast then co- you know create a copy paste should i say copy paste no yeah, it, it, it wasn't touch. quite a template but yeah. i would go through and personalize every single one of them okay. yeah and we would send this out to those 20 people that we created the list of and then i did it one recently and thought it was funny because i looked up you know mainstream celebrities in las vegas <laughs> and sure celine dion was on the list and sure bruno mars was on the list but if you don't shoot you can't make it you yeah know? The thing I think with a lot of those people is that they have large PR teams that they just can't come on and talk candidly on a podcast without a lot of review and approval ahead of time. Because anything they say could reflect on so many different avenues. As soon as you land one though, then you can use that to land. Because I've I've actually encountered this several times where people are like, all right, show me the best episodes you've had or the coolest people you've had on. And I've had to like send this out to people for trying to get someone on. Um, So that's very common. Yeah, I know like Steve Aoki lives here and Mm -hmm. like, you know, what's going on with that, man? Working what? on I've it. told you to text on it. Him. I know. Oh, I so feel like I, know. I know Working multiple yeah. people who are like friends with him here. I'm like, I feel like he would come on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, and, yeah. There, there was a point where uh, it was like, you know, COVID time and, and didn't feel comfortable with, uh, you know, coming on at that point. Yeah. With everything he was doing. So, uh, yeah, I got to reach back out. Yeah. You should reach back out. I yeah. feel like that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Especially one. because I don't think people know that he's like such a great business he is. person. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, Steve, okay, the DJ. I'm like, no, dude. He's like a savage. Oh, yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think he's just breaking into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually doing some thinking. I think it would be a smart idea. We hire a podcast producer for three months. I really like Let's that go. idea. I love it. For three, I think it's a great but idea. just three months. Yeah. And if we don't see a benefit in three months, that's the end of it. I agree. And there's 100%. 90 Let's days. They have 90 days. Super down. You should love just totally, like, okay. if you're ever trying to, like, hire somebody and it's like, a, just bring someone as a contractor, say it's a project basis and we'll reevaluate in 90 days. Yeah. Part of part of the thing for me is that I feel like I've done everything myself and I'm like, we could just do it. We, we have four people between us and Andrew or people, there's no reason why we can't accomplish that. Mm-hmm. But well, not everyone's for, you though. Yeah, but I feel like everyone has the time. No, like this, you, is, this is the fallacy yeah. that most founders like you have when you're like a very capable person is you think that it takes everyone else the same time it takes you. And that's the reason a lot of businesses can't grow is people are like, well, I'm not gonna hire someone because like just, Sally can do that for two. They don't have the attention. Yeah. Most people don't have the attention to do what you do and have that much dedicated. Like most people have so many other things going on in their lives. I mean, to get myself out of the business, it's probably like, 
five to six roles that need to get hired that mm-hmm. are high level people that are paid like, you know, between 200 and 500 grand a year each to get Alex out of the business. It's usually like, you know, eight to 10 people to get him out to yeah. like build a whole marketing department basically. So it's like, it just never, you're never going to find like one person who's going to be able to do it as well as you in most cases, yeah. if it's something you're good at. Okay. If it's something you're bad at, you'll for sure find people that are better than you at it because you're like, okay. I don't think that we're particularly good at reaching out to guests because that's something that lies in your court of like the you're responsibilities right. of this podcast. You're right. And I would say, honestly, that's one of the things that we need the most amount of. Why you're would right. you be the you're one right. reaching out to? I would get someone, I would pay them a commission based on the guests that they're going to get. So yeah. you basically have like an A list, B list, C list guest, and they get paid a commission based on the kind of guests that they bring onto the show. That's ex- I literally said that exact thing to you. I said the Did exact you? thing. Yep. You mentioned the commission. And you I never said, said A, B, and C. No, no. Yes, I, no I, I literally said they bring on this tier, yeah. we pay them X amount. They bring on this tier, we pay them X amount. I, I don't remember that. that. I don't remember 100%. that. I just I feel like if you have someone yeah. full time doing that, that's going to get you out of the rut. I right. 100% agree. No, I, think like that is, yeah. I think that is the main reason we need a producer is for guest outreach. I don't even think it's for the production of the podcast. I think that's all going fine. Well, maybe it's not a producer. What would you call it? Because a producer I mean, it, is going to, the person that you attract It would help if they greased up the machine that is the podcast. You know, I kind of like. That's not going to make the biggest difference. And so if you put out video producer, 99. 0.9% of those people can't do that thing. So would it be like an agent or something? I would have to Google it for sure. Yeah. To me, like it sounds like you have, like you build up some sort of network of a couple people that just kind of have contacts. And um, once one of them finds somebody that would be suitable for us, then they get paid, you know, like the fee. Yeah, and, it's, and it's beneficial for them and for us. Is this just a commission thing that, yeah. so we just put feelers out and we say maybe with five people, we'll pay you based on the guest you bring in. You could do five people, yeah. or if you pay one person, ideally that person has a network of people who do what they do, and then they'll just pay those people if they really need something, yeah. and then they cover it with their commission. Is it worth it to hire somebody who maybe is just resourceful? Like one person who does everything, but maybe they could you know, find people and network? I will say this, which yeah. is I um, work with a company that does something similar, and the guy is very resourceful, but it takes time to build a network. And so what you don't have is that you have the time that he's undergoing to build that network that you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. But if you can find somebody who's already built that network, then you don't have to pay for that time, you just pay for their experience. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I, I don't like waiting. So I'm like, I would rather find somebody who has already done it and already has a network, because building one takes time. That's just me though. I like that. What do yeah. you think on that? Great Jack? idea. Love it. Because I think we are under the mindset that we have to hire someone full time for three months. No. Okay. You can hire. I mean, you can literally do whatever you want. You just have to be clear and set the expectations to that person. So, like, I would just be clear when I'm putting a rec out there. I'd be like, I'm hiring someone to get this product. You have three months. And if you're able to hit this goal, which is maybe like two A list guests or something like that, would you want to bring them on full time? Like, what would they have to do in those first three months for you to say, now I would want to bring you on full time? And then you tell them that's what it is. And it's very clear. And if they agree to it and you agree to it, then like, it's great. Works on both sides. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Okay. I think it's good. I like that. Cool. Yeah. You got to cool. get this out by tomorrow. So I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Keep going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has actually been really helpful for us too. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you guys having me.